Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. For $5 a month, you can actually see the Thin Green Line interviews and other video content on patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And feel like you're part of the conversation. Join us. Episode one of the Thin Green Line podcast. Thin Green Sp- Line. Yeah. Available on Patreon, member-driven. And when we talk about the Thin Green Line, boy, it, it expands so much. When you think about the Thin Blue Line, that everybody knows about the Thin Blue Line, they think police. Well, we want people to think Thin Green Line. We want to thank game wardens, conservation officers, environmental police. But it's so much more because there's so much more of a team when it comes to the Thin Green Line. Don't you think, John? I do, Wayne. You know, and I talked about this, and this really got red hot on what the Thin Green Line is beyond Game Wardens when I talked with Joe Rogan about this. And he hadn't even heard of the Thin Green Line. And what we discuss is exactly what you just brought up. This isn't only Game Wardens. It isn't only park rangers or military or border patrol like the Thin Green Line is is notoriously familiar, you know, familiarized with. It's our biologists. It's our public. It's every aspect of our public that love our outdoor resources, whether they're conservationists and hunt and fish and angle and those kind of things, or they're preservationists and just like to be in the outdoors and see what's out there. Our public is our thin green line, and they're our first line of defense with a limited number of game wardens and other law enforcement you know, professionals trying to protect our wildlife, wildlands, and waterways. And um, as you and I both know from having two long careers of doing you know, what we just love to do and protect our resources from the wildlife side, 
there's so few of us in the game worn world and there's so many millions of people out there impacting our resources in good and bad ways we talk about poaching we talk about you know commercial and recreational poaching and uh, commercial wildlife markets the black market and then what are we in the middle of right now but this worldwide covid 19 pandemic that isn't only you know harming so many lives on the human side but it's having a, a very big impact on our wildlife resources that people aren't even aware of so what a great time to start this great podcast together bring the country together with it and discuss those issues as they relate especially to this pandemic right now yeah and you just as you're talking i'm thinking boy that thin green line is really thin when you think about a blue line and all the police officers yeah. that are around that and then you start talking about matching them up with the numbers of conservation officers, game wardens, environmental police. It's a really, really thin line. And we need those the, the public out there to thicken up that line. We need their we support. Yep. And we need biologists to help us out too because you know we don't have the time to do the research and know what's best for those wild animals. And that, right. that's a support system. They, they recommend it, they make the laws, and we enforce them. That's why I'm, I'm sure you've had laws that you don't really like or agree with. And I always tell people, I don't make the laws, I just enforce them. You need right. to get involved, get involved with your legislatures and make the laws. And then that's how it works. I'm just the guy that enforces the law. I don't necessarily agree with everything they do. I mean, I, I think about China now with the, you know, these wet markets and the legal and illegal wildlife trade. Right, two right. Lines there, and to me, if it's legal and you're doing it according to the law, no matter where you are, it's legal. Do I agree with those laws? Absolutely not. But are right. they culturally driven? Are they socially driven? There's so much that goes into laws and how we live as a culture. But then you have that legal side, and then you have the illegal side that runs right alongside it. That you know, the black market, the the this, the that, and when they outlaw the legal stuff, then that black market becomes so much more important to this culture because that's what they've been told their whole life, that they eat rhino horn that's going to make them better. If they grind up tiger bones, it's going to make them better. If they use bear gall bladders, it's going to make them better. It's, it's socially driven, and you know, but we need all that support behind that. You know, and, and in this day and age, we need you know, people that market that to tell them, hey, this is wrong. We need to, we need to change that. So there's, there's, there's a whole lot to that thin green line, and it's dang thin. When I, when I wrap my head around it, I'm like, wow. When I look at the numbers of police officers to game wardens in our state, it's massive. It, it's massive. And, and our, our first duty is to the public. It is public safety. So human Absolutely. life is ours. Don't, don't get us wrong. We are focused law enforcement on other things, but your safety your health is the most important thing to any conservation law enforcement. But we're different because after yeah. that, we, we think about the wildlife and we think we, about things that we want to see, that we want our kids to see, that we want your kids to see with the things that we want to share. And that's why we're so passionate, don't you think? I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's that paying it forward to the next generation, especially in an urbanized generation that's mostly on digital screens. They're not spending as much time outdoors where, you know, we're losing the amount of conservationists and young hunters that we're educating through hunter education programs and just getting kids out to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy our wildlife species, whether they hunt or not, whether they're a conservationist or a preservationist, 
we're, we're losing ground. And, and we on the Thin Green Line are trying to promote that. So we get people invested in the beauty of the natural outdoor world and being our eyes and ears out there to be part of that Thin Green Line. It's uh, talking about those numbers, Wayne, it's interesting between you and I have talked a few times before on your Warden's Watch podcast that we did together between my first book, War in the Woods and Hidden War. It's your Warden's Watch podcast now too, John. What's that? <laughs> it's your Warden's Watch podcast too. It is, I guess it is. I mean, wow, that's, uh, that's good. Yeah, I'm still internalizing that change since we're co-hosting. Uh, so that's why I'm going to There you go. So our Warden's Watch and our Thin Green Line, kind of the, the double threat, right, coming at you from, from the conservation side. Our, uh, our broadcast. It's interesting that in the 10 years between my last two books, you look at the number of game wardens we've increased in every state combined, and it's under 1,000 game wardens in a 10-year period from 2000 or from 2001 to about 2010 to 2019, give or take. So in that window, you have a 10-year window, and we've increased seven 800 game wardens nationally in all 50 states. Yet what has our population done in America? Skyrocketed in millions and millions of people. So that's that much more impact on our wildlife resources as the numbers and the ratio of game wardens is so skewed. And that thin green line on the flag behind me is getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner, just like we talk about. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast together, brother, is trying to get more people aware and embedded in the issues that we run across all the time. And right now, like what you said before, this is a public safety emphasis because we are in this COVID-19 pandemic on a worldwide scale, it's affecting America like nothing you and I have seen in our lifetime, right? Um, I'm over here on the West Coast in California for a few more days before I make it back to the promised land of Montana with way less population spread out where we don't have any cases in our little tiny Northwestern you know, corner on the Canadian border. But coming from the number three hotbed state right now, California, where we have so many thousands of cases of COVID and it's blown up this week, and now we're looking at the public safety issue. How is this affecting people? What are we doing as first responders, law enforcement, wildlife focused, but now we're pulled into this mix of just protecting the public, making sure people are healthy, making sure things like riots and looting and you know um, aggressive activity doesn't occur in the panic that is already developing day by day out here. And in the process of doing that, the thin green line protecting wildlife is completely thinned it's very very weakened right now because none of us are out there patrolling for our wildlife crimes right now we are dealing with this national issue like all first responders are doing and should be doing and it brings up some huge challenges and, and negative impacts to our species out there no absolutely and I, I think just as all these agencies get pulled because i keep preaching we're the police in the woods and right. anything happens in the woods they call the game warden which is smart but it is. It's pulling us in all kinds of directions. New Hampshire, we do the search and rescue. We have the White right. Mountain National Forest, massive national forest, massive visitorship, people coming in, hiking all the time. That's the new outdoor pastime, if you ask me, is hiking. And we have some gorgeous, gorgeous country to, to share. But the game wardens do, along with volunteers. And I can't say right. we, we manage it, we send our guys, but we're, we're only 38 strong statewide. We can only do so much. Volunteerism is right. huge in New Hampshire with this this search and rescue. But we're just to your point. We're getting pulled. So like and like you said, we're why we're doing this. Who's who's protecting that wildlife? You've had some experience recently in California with that. You know, going out there and seeing what's going on. 
Yeah, it's been pretty surreal, buddy. It's um, I'm back in my old area, you know, basically where I, I had my whole career. Um, Silicon Valley, the foothills around it, where I did patrol and ran a squad of seven, eight wardens, you know, on uh, two and a half counties here um, before special operations, which we still based out of Silicon Valley, because it's really kind of the center of the state of California. And in this last week, especially while I've been here with other family members that are first responders looking after family needs and, you know, um, everything from medical support to assisting local law enforcement on the pandemic prep. Um, because we're so close to that Silicon Valley urban center and, and, you know, millions and millions of people in the tech capital, there's some tensions here. And California is the third hotbed state right now in number of COVID-19 confirmed cases. And this is, this is the scary thing. The statistic we heard yesterday um, from our from the governor's office in California is by the time this thing is all said and done, even with the shelter in place orders that the state of California is under uh, and appropriately so to keep this social distancing going, we are going to see 69 or 65 to 70 percent of every California resident is going to have the disease. That is an astronomical, humbling number to say. And, you know, how and we are. Oh man, I don't know how many millions of people we are in California, but it, it's a big it's a big state. We're in the the many millions. That being said, you can imagine the panic that's creating. Um, you can imagine the strain on law enforcement resources to just keep the tensions down. And we're not at a supply shortage yet. We're not seeing a lot of cases pop up city by city yet. But this week and the next week and the next week over this next eight week window is going to tell the nation where we're at. And if we get that bulk, we get that bulk or flattened a little bit where it's right. not just spreading to overwhelm our medical professionals, you know, in our hospital bed, bed numbers and things like that. So uh, I've been seeing crazy things from the tension standpoint, breaking up potential fights like in, in, in a safe way two days ago. I was just at the bank at the ATM and going in there to pick up a few supplies and some of the stores out here are being resupplied. And two guys almost went to blows screaming at each other over, you know, one guy banging into a guy by accident with a shopping cart. And everybody just froze and kind of watched it happen and nobody was going to intervene because there just isn't anyone there to kind of, you know, calm people down. And I jumped in and talked to both of them and kind of made a light joke of the thing and said, Armageddon hasn't happened yet, guys. What are we fighting for? We got a lot to live for together. And they kind of de-escalated and one of the wives intervened and she calmed down. But there was a like, hold your breath moment with all these checkers and the bank tellers. And I thought, this is what it's already come down to. And nothing really bad's happened yet. You know, we're not, we're not the worst of it. And that's from the public protection standpoint. But the other thing I've been doing out here that's been surreal, it's been both a blessing and kind of a, a slap in the face and an eye opener, is getting to go back into the, the private ranches, some of the public lands that I used to patrol, working with ranchers out there, working with local law enforcement, sheriff's deputies, um, wildlife officers, and, and, and that mix, and seeing all these areas full of wildlife that have no patrol presence on them right now at all. Um, rangers in state and city parks are taking care of public interaction, you know, in their high use areas. Our game wardens right now are shelter in place unless there's a, 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 a mad, uh, incredible emergency for allied agency support for mutual aid. So mm -hmm. we're kind of hovering from an agency standpoint on the fish and wildlife front. And then a lot of the ranching families are basically sheltering in place, closing their gates, and they're locking themselves down for up to a month or more and not leaving the house or even getting out on the ranch. 
so I've been going into my old areas and it's like a ghost town. I mean, it's like post Armageddon, a walking dead scenario, no exaggeration where it is beautiful and springy out here. It's raining, then it's sunny. Turkeys are running around because our turkey season is about to blow up and there's nobody impacting these animals yet. Tons of deer, tons of hogs, antelope, you know, raptors, waterfowl are still migrating right now. It is amazing, but it's also humbling to see how there's no protection for them right now because that is not the priority. Public safety, like you said, brother, is what we are sworn to do first and foremost on the first responder and we all come together and the color of the line of the flag doesn't even matter. Um, but it's an alarming eye-opener to see how long this pandemic is going to go. And they're talking six months, nine months. It might go till the whole end of the year. And there's not going to be a lot of, quote-unquote, traditional warden patrol and wildlife protection patrol that you and I are used to. This pandemic has changed the way we deal with our thin green line of enforcement like you and I have never seen. And it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a work in progress to see what we do with this and what we learn from it for future crises to come. Yeah, and some scary things, like my department put out a notice because of some of the interaction on the internet that all, all fishing game wild, wildlife rules are still in place. And right. to, to say that, just, you know, I'm like, why did we have to say that? And then you go on the internet, and there's a lot of people about, you know, talking like it's the end of the world and they're going to do what they have to do to survive. And right. I, I think we're so far from that at this point that to have yeah. that discussion already, I'm like, you know, to put out that notice that all fishing game rules are still in effect, that, you know, we don't, don't throw everything out the window, you know, at the first sight of smoke. My goodness. I was like, do we really need to do that at this point? And then I started reading some of the things and I'm like, really? Really? You know, I don't know what your freezer looks like. Mine's pretty good right now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that I just don't get. We're, we're such a reactive, you know, we're such a reactive society of, of human beings, you know, everywhere. One thing happens that's out of our comfort zone, and the panic completely, completely skews the actual issue and really the severity of the issue because right now, even though we have, you know, so many thousands and thousands of cases of COVID-19 all over the country, a very small percentage of people are affected fatally by this by this virus. You know, mm -hmm. most people have symptoms and they they shelter in place and they weather the storm and it's like a flu and it is a flu of sorts and they survive. You know, and they don't have to tie up a hospital bed. They don't have to go out and affect and and uh, you know spread this 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 virus any further than the, than it already has in, in the contraction phase for themselves. But then at the same time, we still have food supplies. Everybody still has something, or most people do if they're even slightly prepared. But everyone's talking about I'm going to go start killing does tomorrow, and I'm going to go find me a turkey, and you know I'm going to go start getting my wildlife freezer full, and the game laws are gone, and and that's not the case at all. Now, what happens? two, three, four months down the road, and who can really say what's going to happen? Let's right. hope it doesn't come to that. Let's hope it doesn't come to people, subsistence, honey, and, and wiping out our wildlife resources. But um, when it gets to that point, we're talking about a whole different issue, and now it's a survival issue, but we're not sanctioning anything that isn't appropriate at any point in time. And people are knee-jerk reaction to that. It's just baffling to see. And I've been seeing the same thing out here. I mean, yeah. absolutely. I had, I had a buddy of mine that's a really, he's a registered guide and he guides multiple species out here in California. And he just hit me up on the internet yesterday and said, uh, so I'm about to start turkey season and I have clients. He goes, but there's no, you know, shelter in place for hunting as legal guiding. Do you think I should have my turkey hunters still do their hunts? 
with me? Is there an issue with that? Is there any prohibition against it because of spreading the, you know, spreading the virus? And basically there's no legal law that says you can't do that. But then at the same time, I had to tell him, exercise your best judgment right now. Is it really the time to go on a guided turkey hunt um, this season, you know, for a couple hundred dollars, whatever the thing is, with the risk of spreading this thing? put it in his court. And, and he was really good with that. And it was one of those things where it's not necessarily going to be a legislative law issue. It's not going to be scripted, but it's going to be something we got to, we got to handle common sense, you know, case by case. And I just hope people calm down and think logically and not emotionally with that knee jerk panic reaction, because that's, what's going to get people hurt. And that's, what's going to get a lot of animals killed before their time. Yeah, no, I would, Totally, totally agree with that. And it, you're right. It, it puts a lot on the person, the individual, because we live in America. There's a lot of freedom. You know, if they're not going to pin us down to do something, it's hard not to do it when you've done it your whole life. But right. you have that obligation right. to everybody else and to you, whether it's, you know, whether you're going to go hunting or whether you're going to do this or that. Are we going to have interaction with people? Are we going to be doing, you know, something that's going to engage and, and potentially spread i'm pretty confident living in a county that doesn't have any but yet am i going to be the one that that helps spread that one issue and yeah it, it's 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 a personal choice that you got to make the right choice you got to make oh. the right choice yeah you absolutely do and um getting back to that fight situation the other day in the store getting back to some of the tensions I see, you know, just people not quite prepared for this thing, either mentally or actually logistically, you know, and I know we're going to talk later in the show today on basic preparation steps you should have for something like a COVID-19 outbreak or a power outage. that's going to last over a month or, or any type of long-term survival crisis. And right. so many people honestly out here just are not prepared, Wayne. It's one of those things where, We've got Amazon and we've got DoorDash and, you know, you press a button, you make a, 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 a internet hit and you've got your meal supplied, you've got the things you need uh, and you just don't really have to work for anything. And that's the, you know, both a curse and a blessing of technology right. on both sides, right? And you and I have been talking about this for weeks now, building up to this, this podcast. Um, how are people prepared for this? And because they're not... Um, the, the mindset is is more just every man for himself, get the heck out of my way, I'm starting to get scared, and I haven't even seen any real overt action that shows I'm gonna be harmed in any way. I don't have the I don't have the virus. Um, you know, they're not you know, they're not the stores still have food, I still have power, I still have water, my family's healthy and safe. We're all on long term vacation right now, sheltering in place with the kids out of school. Um, which, you know, can cause tension in and of itself. Like no seeing, you know, just, <laughs> I like my alone time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, man, I haven't had, a, I haven't had my kids uh, with me 24-7 for like 21 days since I can remember, and this is getting kind of crazy. <laughs> now we're going to get a little, yeah, pandemic crazy. But but just that, that whole thing, brother, is um, it, it's just, it's, it's a, a baffling thing to observe. And quite frankly, it's uh, it causes some anxiety on my part just watching these tensions on, on the West Coast right now. Mm. Um, the fear of the unknown and how people react to that. And that's what's going to get people hurt and killed in this crisis w far more than, than COVID-19 is, you know, when you look at the, the actual numbers, you know, so. Yeah, and where there's more population, there's more tension. You know, cities are going to 
build up that tension first and move on for there. But, you know, I think it's probably a good time to talk about that preparedness, too. We've, we've talked Definitely. about it up to it. We can go back because I really want to hit, you know, where this all developed and everything and, you know, the future when this thing all dies away that we really need to, to, to attack this illegal wildlife, you know, thing for, for health reasons. But, you know, being prepared, it doesn't take a whole lot. It takes a little money. And it just builds so much confidence, you know, uh, you know, just simple things like, you know, the, the freeze dried food type things. I, you know, I have 84 meals stacked, just add water. It's, a, it's in a container this big. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And it's sealed, and it's good for long term. So put that on your shelf. It cost me $200. That's peace of mind. You know, right. just there's 84 meals there, different things. Probably not the best tasting thing, but if, but if you need it, but that I just bought peace of mind. You yeah. know, and, yeah. And then simple things, you know, uh, tarps. Tarps are huge. You know, if a window hurricane hits, window blows out. Uh, you know, I don't have a whole bunch of plywood laying around, but I got some tarps that I can, you know, yeah. start nailing to cover that hole. Because let's face it, food, shelter, water, basics. That's what you need to focus on when there is a crisis, hurricanes, tornadoes, all those things. Yep. Prep. Yep. Just, just have something ready. You know, they always talk about a go bag because you may have to go. Build something in. Build something you can build a shelter with. Build something you can make a fire with. Put food in there and contain it. And then for long term. So in water, you know, we have a generator. If the, the power goes out, I can fill I have these plastic five-gallon uh they're, they're all fold up. They're just plastic. But they take five gallons of water. They fill up. I got two of those. I got 10 gallons of water within minutes, you know, of the generator kicking on. And, you know, I live in the woods, so I have a generator. My my power goes off probably a dozen times a year. It right. doesn't even phase me when the power goes off. It went off for a week last year. The only thing that phased me was the price of propane because that was oh, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yep I'm, I'm the same way in montana i have a backup generac for from a place i just built up there and, and that's exactly what happens the propane kicks on that generator and uh, i've got indefinite power but for people that don't have that type of setup or don't live in you know remote wooded areas like we do and they might lose power for you know a day's one thing two or three days you start to get a little tense a little worried anxiety rises you lose power for a week in the city things are going to get pretty Western pretty quick. It's going right. to get nasty because not everybody does have a generator. And once they can't pump that water from city wells, you know, do you have, you know, 20 gallons of water in five gallon containers? Or mm. do you have, you know, cases of water bottles, plastic water bottles for that emergency to get you by? And a rule of thumb that we've always worked off of is 84 meals at least and, and having like what you have set up. I'm in the same similar situation that I recommend to all of our listeners and viewers is, have enough food and enough water and enough supplies to get you through 30 days of unsupported survival. And when I say unsupported survival, the general rule of thumb, 30 days, because 
30 days is going to get you through pretty much anything America has seen on the tornado, the disaster, the earthquake, the power loss, tsunami, whatever you could ever imagine. Um, and then on something like this COVID-19 pandemic, um, 30 days is going to get you stabilized through the worst of it before you got to start thinking about migrating out of an urban area that doesn't have supplies. And if it goes beyond 30 days, we're going to get to the point where things are going to get very unsettled um, here in the whole country and which we hopefully will not see in the several couple of weeks to come with this, with this worldwide pandemic. We don't quite know yet. But at the same time, if you've got 30 days of supplies and you know you can move and survive in our outdoor environment and you can make fire, you know, you can always make fire, you can always make shelter. And I agree with you on tarps, making lean-tos and a couple rolls of Gorilla Tape, man. You can yeah. do anything with Gorilla Tape and good tarps. I mean, it's, it's the true MacGyver scenario. I have done so many little lean-to waterproofing things in snow, covering up hunting camps. Um, having to, you know, shelter for the night because we didn't take tents. We were, you know, on an ultra lightweight mountain multi-day hunt. And it was the good lean-to tarp material that's featherweight, a couple of trekking poles and having tape to, you know, patch the holes. And right. it really does, it really does a lot. So um, I, hopefully everybody has enough supplies right now, especially uh, in the urban areas where um, it's going to be a little harder to get stuff first as the supply chain erodes. Uh, but that's something people got to look at and, um, and something we talk about a lot on, on our Instagram feeds and things like that. But, um, the bug out kit is critical and those things, and then tailored to what the family might need specific medicines, you know, for allergies, for diabetes, for, you know, heart conditions, making sure you have a supply of 30 days of medication when you can't refill prescriptions. That's something a lot of family and friends here in the urban areas of California, I've been running into that. Our pharmacies right now are already taxed where they're running out of insulin, and we haven't even got to the, the you know, to, to the, the, the peak of this bell curve of problems with this pandemic. But, diet, you know, type 1 diabetics right now are having trouble getting insulin already. That's very alarming. Um, you know, uh, heart medication, all these different things that some of my older relatives and friends and family members that are up there and have multiple medical medication needs are on very limited supply right now. And there's a lot of worry about that and understandably so. So that's something you want to prepare for in your bug out bag. If you have medical conditions or your family members in your, in your tribe do, and you got to think ahead and have an extra supply that might exceed what the normal prescription rate is. And you got to plan for that. Yes, absolutely. Those exp expiration dates too. Right. And right. The, the whole planning. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Those are all things and can be done in an urban setting as well. Tarps are good no matter where. Just, right. just have it all together where you know it is. And you know what? I, I, the worst thing I've ever dealt with is an ice storm. You know, two weeks of no power. Yes. You know, sheltering in place basically because no one can get to you. They're still cutting their way in. You know, everybody's fine. It's good. But we have everything we need and going on. Ice to, to me, lack of power is is worse than a pandemic. Because if we went thirty days without power, that that's that's huge. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that worse than a pandemic because it's probably not worse than a pandemic. But you it, know, I to, I, to, I, th I think it's <laughs> accurate though. You know, I I think that's a that's a good accurate statement because when things go dark for thirty days, power wise, and it's dark all the time, that's that's a scary moment. That's scary mm -hmm. for all of us. I mean, just let's just admit it. I mean, no matter what we've experienced on the wildlife officer front. 
you know, and you live in a very remote area. And where I live full time now, it is as remote as it gets in northwestern Montana. And you're right. It's blizzards. It's mm -hmm. snowstorms. It's ice storms. And we drop power routinely for multiple days. Um, I've about a week is the most I've ever gone without power up there. And I'll tell you what, with all the new backup technology and generators and stuff before we had that, it was it was stressful, man. It was really stressful. Ah. And when it's dark all the time and you can't, you know, and you're working off of headlamps and candle lanterns and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, that can freak people out. So time to pump that water that and fill those jugs, you know, yeah. but without a generator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have that option. You got to have those couple of cases of water available, and then you 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 learn how precious those basics that we take for granted right bases are. Yeah, so, and, and I th think we're we're gonna start seeing that. Hopefully, the supply chain is this key to this. It's key to anything. Is keeping that supply chain open, keeping those things moving, and that's what you know, hopefully this pandemic will not shut down is those supply chains and getting to people, you know, first responders are turning into delivery people, which is great. That's what we do. We serve the public in any capacity that's needed, whether it's delivering your medication to your home, whether it's delivering water, delivering food. We live to serve. We live to serve. Game wardens live to serve the wildlife, but the, the people first, because without the people, you know, I guess the wildlife's wild. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. And I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've noticed this uh, back east or seen reports of it, but I'm getting a lot of, as I'm roaming around the Silicon Valley as safely as I can with the shelter in place thing going on, but I'm running into a lot of people that know me personally from history, panicked about the National Guard showing up. And I've, you know, I've heard the National Guard's coming in tomorrow or they're coming in next week and they're going to lock us into our homes and there's going to be curfews. And, or, you know, if you're from out of state, you're not going to be able to go back over state borders. And none of that has happened. You oh. know, the governor out here, uh, President Trump has made it clear that he's not going to lock interior borders. Um, it hasn't come to that. Uh, the, I can say for a fact that what the National Guard is doing here in California as of this week is they're doing just what you said, Wayne. They are packing food at food cent distribution centers. They're going to help deliver food. One mm -hmm. thing they are going to do because we have these non-essential businesses that need to stay closed so we don't have more interaction and spread this thing any faster than we already are, they're going to, they're going to probably roam around a little bit. There's military police groups from the National Guard. They're going to help just watch those businesses and make sure things are staying closed when they need to, um, as long as they need to, and keep only those essential businesses open. Um, but there's been no border closures that I've heard about. But it's it's a stressful thing to see 50 Humvees, you know, rolling hot down the highway into your city in the modern era in America. You know, yeah. whether you're in Silicon Valley, California, or what just happened in Chicago yesterday when, when the guard showed up for the first time. And, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends in up in the Seattle area. Washington is a big wildlife state. That has a ton of resources. You, know, you and I have worked with the, the, you know, the Washington wildlife officers for our careers, and that's the second most affected state right now with the COVID nineteen outbreak. It is full right. and had the most amount of of confirmed cases, like exponentially overnight in a couple of days when this whole thing broke out a couple of weeks ago. So um, they're gonna they're having the same problem, and they're seeing that guard presence start to show up too. So hopefully, people don't panic with that right now. Um, but it is a little intimidating and don't overreact help your fellow man because as soon as we start panicking about seeing things like the guard come in that there could be does this mean it's martial law you know are we going to be like pinned down at 
7 p.m. in our homes, we all start freaking out against each other and we start, you know, kind of kind of going crazy and every man for himself. And we cannot do that. We need to fight this as a community, as a country, as thin green liners together. And I can't stress that enough because I'm seeing the tension firsthand and it's getting more stressful day after day after day that I'm in California for a few more days. Let's not go there. Right. And the funny thing that's happened that can directly relate to that is the lack of toilet paper. At least, on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least on the East Coast. I mean, that's, that's basic. It's the most fundamental thing of what you just talked about. But it, it, it was happening. <laughs> oh, man, you know, I, I, to my wife, uh, how much toilet paper do we have in reserve? And she's like, "Oh, we got about nine rolls." I'm like, "Well, let's just keep an extra package in the pantry, you know, in the future." Just, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm so glad you brought up the toilet paper issue. Let's really break that down because I've talked to so many friends and family all over, you know, all over the country on this, like how critical is toilet paper and why are we hoarding toilet paper? There was a meme that was going out on Facebook and Instagram of a pallet of Kirkland toilet paper landed in a Costco and someone, someone dubbed in the zombie growling from walking dead. And then as soon as the pallet hit the ground, everybody's on this thing and it's all the screaming and, you know, and they're grabbing it and they're knocking each other in the head with the toilet paper, uh, the, the big cases of 45, 48 rolls, whatever it is. And I thought, Let's think about this. If you're using that much toilet paper and we lose power and you can't flush the toilet, is toilet paper really going to be the thing we need? We can't eat it. And then we used to have cloth diapers before there was toilet paper for baby and, and we didn't have disposable diapers and everything. So this isn't the end of the world. If you run out of toilet paper, you're still going to be able to clean sanitation. will get done. It'll get done old school before we had toilet paper rolls, you know, now, personally, baby wipes, that's something I kind of like. I like their sanitize, they're sanitary, they're compact. You know, I think you get a lot more use from a baby wipe than you do a toilet paper, but we're out of those too. So, you know. It, <laughs> that would have been the zombie thing. Huh? <laughs> that would have been the zombie <laughs> thing. But, oh, if, if, if everybody was uh, distracted with the toilet paper, go for the baby wipes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you haven't seen that, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's, it's going viral around the country. It's, it's hilarious. It's making yeah. a little light of something everybody's tense about. We need a little bit of that humor right now. Yeah, and before toilet paper, I remember I had a when I when I was growing up, there was a farmer. He was eighty something when I was, you know, probably twelve or fourteen. I used to fill his wood box every day. Uh, I'd get dropped off by the bus, go fill his wood box. But out in their barn, and this 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 farm had been around forever. In the bottom, we used to play around all the time and have free run of it. I kept finding these piles of corn cobs, and okay. finally, <laughs> I asked my dad, "I'm like, well, what are all the corn cobs?" He goes, "Well, you know where they are," and I'm like. Well, they're kind of underneath the outhouse holes in the barn. He goes, yeah, they used to use those for toilet paper. And I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, corn cobs? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty effective. I'm like, were they the, Were they all dried up or were they soft? <laughs> you know, we, we have definitely uh, come full circle. We've, we've got some pretty good uh, perks to being living in the day and age we are living in. And, yeah, one we of them's. <laughs> we really do, and I, I I hate to think that COVID nineteen could regress us to the corn cob, you know, youth. But hey, man, field expedient, I guess, whatever works. If it worked for our forefathers, uh, heaven forbid, it might have to work for us. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah, no, I I definitely like living with flush toilets, the whole nine yards. And you know, so many friends. Have 
that I would have loved to have been here at the turn of the you know century when there was nobody here. And I'm like, you know, there's just some of those modern amenities that I, I really like, you know. I just can you imagine doing a musket when you get a grizzly charging you? I'm like, you know, I, I kind of nope. like having a repeating rifle. <laughs> I like having a repeating rifle with smokeless powder and a whole lot of energy, you know, and, and good bullet design. It's, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I like the era we live in, but I like never taking for granted what our forefathers had to deal with. Absolutely. And I think again, when I, when I talk about this, this pandemic being the first of our generation and the kids, uh, you know, after us of dealing with something like this, I mean, you never want to see this happen, but with every negative comes a positive. And if, mm-hmm. if, if this pandemic hasn't done anything, it's done two things in a positive light. It's already started to make us focus on what is most important to each one of us. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, how urgent do you feel the safety of your family is? Who are those, you know, inner circle vault friends of a lifetime that you just worry about, even if they're 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 miles away? And then, you know, how do you view your fellow man? You know, are you going to be here to look out for each other as a community and not just talk the talk, but walk the walk when things get tense, when you get scared and we go back to fight or flight of personal survival mode for our family and we want to hover and isolate. Um, this is teaching us to experience that for those of us that haven't been in the fray, you know, that haven't been a first responder, that haven't had military or law enforcement experience and had to, you know, run to the sound of the guns per se. But now you start to hear those guns even figuratively and how do you react? And, you know, our public throughout this country and the rest of the world, many have not experienced that. And it's a good thing that we kind of are to adjust our behavior to be better at handling the situation and better at working together. Um, And then on top of that, everybody that isn't prepared right now and is freaking out and all those, you know, zombies grabbing for the big rolls of toilet paper at Costco, like that funny meme that was going around, that's telling us, you know, hey, fool me once, shame on me for not being prepared. Fool me twice, you know, shame on me double because things just got really, really bad. I should have been prepared that second time around Um, because this isn't. This this uh, this super virus isn't the first, you know. No. We know there's many derivatives of this, and years ago. And, and you're talking about the wet markets and where some of this originates from wildlife, Sunders. you know, from and everything else. What? Yeah, we're we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get more of this, you know. This isn't the first time this is gonna happen, and it's very uh, it's ignorant to think that it is. So we're gonna have to be prepared well after COVID nineteen for whatever's coming down the pike next, and uh, and be more effective as a country you know, as a world, as humanity and dealing with it. And this is a, this is a real good test of that. Yeah. No, I, I, the preparedness for sure. I mean, governments worldwide, you know, what are we running out of when we see this? This isn't a virus that's killing people right away. Let's, can you imagine if you catch it, you die, you know, and, right. and what that would do? Right. So hopefully this is, again, you know, do we need more masks? Do we need to prep? So that, that's, that's the type of thing. Let's, let's stockpile some of this. Maybe we need more ventilators, you know, stacked up, ready to go. But then technology exceeds, and then all that stuff becomes obsolete, too. So, so it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword where, where things uh, fall and how much you keep around and how much you stockpile and what sure. becomes obsolete in the future. Yeah, and one thing I can honestly say I was probably a little ill-equipped on as far as amounts was things like hand sanitizer, N95 masks. 
um, ton of nitrile gloves because you and I and all wildlife <laughs> officers, we have nitrile gloves or should case by case out of the vehicle, out of the home office, just for handling carcasses and blood and all of that. Most law enforcement, other first responders do as well. But those other sanitizing things that really started to become a really big issue for us on the marijuana enforcement front, dealing with those EPA banned poisons on, on the weed, the carbofuran going through decon. Um, it was extra thick nitrile gloves. It was decon, you know, wipes, um, Clorox wipes, having hand sanitizer in every pocket in the truck, every time you touch something and clean it up. And um, we, I kind of took that into my civilian life, but realized I was a little low on supplies when this started to break out. I'm doing okay now, but I'm, I'm not running a surplus of cases of hand sanitizer, let's say, and didn't hoard the stuff like a lot of people did in the start of this. But you should have an adequate amount of all those things, like you said, Wayne, and um, keep that stock with your 84 meal MRE pack, your freeze dried, your canned goods, your ability to get water. You got, um, we're in a world of a lot of nasty crud, you know, whether it's a bioweapon, whether it's a, a natural uh, swine flu, whatever the case may be, an anthrax outbreak, another bioweapon, you just don't know. And, right. sanit san and sanitary procedures and PPE, protective equipment, is is just uh, so critical. I'm looking at nurses in the family and doctors that have confirmed cases here just a couple miles where I'm from where I'm sitting right now doing this broadcast with you in one of our local hospitals that have had seven or eight COVID patients come through med surge in the ER and, you know, been in intensive care. Now, one of them has passed away much older gentleman that had a, you know, a lot of uh, respiratory issues and everything well into his eighties, which is unfortunately, you know, what this, what this virus is leading to deaths in, in the, in the biggest group of, of people that are dying from at the small percentage, but the PPE that the medical professionals have, some of that stuff is so available to civilians and first responders and it's so effective. Um, and they're not coming anywhere near getting exposed they're not getting any contractions of this virus working with these patients all the time um, because of the good PPE that's out there that's lightweight, whether it be the N95s, um, you know, some of the hospital scrubs, how they're sanitizing and going through the, the, the decon protocol, um, face shields, things like that. And it's good to see that our, our medical staff have that now because I know in Italy they didn't. And I know originally in China when this thing broke out, they didn't. And a lot of first responders were getting contaminated and obviously contracting the virus. And, and that was uh, that could have been prevented with the right equipment. Nope, I totally agree. And my wife's in the medical field. I always used to pick on her. She used to seem like hand sanitized like every other minute. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Really? What are you doing? You know, she's yeah. on crutches and she straps a hand sanitizer to her crutch. So she's always got it. And I'm like, that's going a little overboard. And then this happens. And, uh, you know, then I even crow. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it definitely, and it, it brings it to light. And I think everybody's going to be that way in the future. You're going to see these hand sanitizers, just like at the hospital, every corner you come around, there's going to be one. You know, if there isn't already one at the Walmart, at the Costco, at the post office, we are going to, you know, have so much more availability to that because of what we're seeing and how important it is to be sanitized. So, nope, def definitely, um, you know, it, it, we're going to learn from this. We're going to grow from this. And uh, hopefully we're going to get better. And, you know, this isn't the end of the world. But, you know, maybe the next one is. And maybe we're ready for it because of COVID-19. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, 
Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Um, yeah, I, 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 I certainly hope so. And, and this is the thing. We've learned there's a lot more crud out in the world right now, a lot more viruses, and there's a lot more people. So overdoing it on sanitation, like hand sanitizer is one example, like like what your wife's doing. You're right. I, I was very, very skeptical of the overkill that the nurses in my family and uh, and doctors and like what your wife's doing, we're doing. And now I'm like, oh. I'll, I'll eat crow on that one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no reason not to take that extra precaution. Give me cases of hand sanitizer. I'll use it. We're good. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, getting back to where this originated and how this. Yeah, originated. this is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And where SARS originated. And, you know, everybody can go to the, the, the Facebook page, Warner's Watch Facebook page, and see the article that I uh, posted. The coronavirus has finally made us recognize the illegal wildlife trade as a public health issue. It, it's. Yeah. On the thin green line, everybody, the healthcare life workers should be part of our thin green line now. The general public should be part of our thin green line. The marketing like, and we should be hitting it because this is a, a social issue, if you ask me, because it's been going on so long in so many different countries where, you know, they're bringing wild animals in, legal or illegal, and, you know, using whether they're food. And I'm not judging that because I eat plenty of wild animals, but certain ones carry diseases more often than not. And then the illegal side, and when then we shut down the legal side of it, it just generates that illegal side. And have we seen any action on the illegal side so far as this goes on? Because I know what's going on. You know what's going on. Because right. when, when we take away the legal side, it just increases. Everybody's going to continue to do what they do. I just read an article this morning, and I'm going to plan on posting that too, that rhino horn is now the cure for the coronavirus. Great. Okay, yeah. good to know. Yeah, yeah and I, so here we here, here, here we go. You know, rhino poaching, incarnate 3.0 is going to get out of control. But but to your point on wildlife trafficking, the black market, you know, wildlife markets and everything else, these dark wet markets as as, as we talk about, um, it's amazing what's coming out of those things. And I know from firsthand back around 2007, 2008, myself and another lieutenant from California Fish and Wildlife got to go over to Cambodia and teach a wildlife investigator school. And we went to some of these Cambodian, you know, kind of underground, uh, quasi-legal, some black market wildlife markets. And they were by far the most unsanitary, disgusting, every species imaginable, you know, feces-infested water running right down, you know, the aisles. And I, I wish I had, you know, a level three hazmat suit going through that thing. I could not believe what I was seeing. But that was part of our education as Westerners coming in to teach covert right. and overt investigations. That was my first exposure to actually being over in Asia and seeing a market like that. And granted, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, too, on the East Coast. I've seen some pretty, pretty, you know, dirty markets here in the San Francisco Bay Area, right, when we've worked, you know, commercial and black market wildlife uh, trafficking issues there. And you can just see where things like a COVID-19 virus can originate, a SARS flu, anything from these wildlife markets. And it's so cool that you posted that. We've got that up on our site now that mm. people do realize this is a wildlife issue and it actually stems from that. And that game wardens out doing what we're doing have a, a tertiary effect going even back to those markets and trying to stop them. And so few people are really aware 
what these commercial black markets lead to, not only in black market profit and actually killing threatened and endangered species and harming our wildlife numbers globally, but also bringing in things like unsanitary animal trafficking that leads to something like COVID-19. And uh, that'll wake everybody up, given what we're experiencing right. right now, and make everybody part of our thin green line. So um, I'm glad we're pushing that out there, guys, and, 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 and pay attention to this and study it a little bit so you understand more about wildlife black market trafficking. I mean, the billions of dollars from black market wildlife trafficking is second only to the drug trade. In some nations, it's actually equal to or exceeds. Am I wrong on this, Wayne? Actually, sometimes can exceed the black market, you know, narcotics trade. Um, it just doesn't seem to get the attention that the narcotics trafficking throughout the world does and, you know, fighting the cartels in my old forte. But this is something that, you know, is going on worldwide and there's so much money involved. So there's a lot of demand, a lot of greed and a lot of decimation of prime wildlife species, but also pushing out these diseases because of the, the situations and the, the environment where this is going on. And it's, it's nasty, just absolutely nasty. Right. And we have to look on how to fight it, too, because I met with a group from Africa that I did some training for, and it wasn't about the money. It was about where the money was going. All these nonprofits funnel money into trying to stop this with the best intentions. Mm -hmm. It's not reaching the front lines. The stuff that they need is not reaching the front lines because of the corruption that goes on in between, whether it's government, black market, all the things that go in between this is what happens. So their message was to stop the money and see if we can get something to the front lines somehow, some way, whether that is an individual, you know, bringing it right to the rangers that are on the front lines of Africa or, or, or something along that matter, because all, all, all the money in the world doesn't save it unless you're targeting the right spots. And I don't exactly. know what the right spots are now. I mean, it's, it's, it's a social thing to have these wild markets. It's a social thing in some of these countries you know, about having this or doing that. It's a cultural war that we're fighting, whether it's marketing to try to target the younger generation to change that, to, to show them that, that, that it isn't effective, that it generates COVID-19, it generates SARS and that type <laughs> of thing. So, you know, just to, to rethink it, you know, that thin green line, like it reaches the general public, marketing groups, you know, th those types of things, we, we can bring them all into focus and hit the source of COVID-19. Hit the source, because this is gonna come and go. Let's not forget where it came from, and that we right. gotta target that, we gotta stop that. That's so important. Yeah, and you said it best, this is another lesson learned from what we're dealing with with COVID-19 worldwide right now, is look at the origins, and after we get through all this, don't only be better prepared to survive one, don't be, be don't only be better prepared to be more sanitary in your daily operations and interacting with our you know your your fellow man and woman but let's go back to the origin and try to curtail it there and i mean with that three prong approach we're not going to stop it certainly but we're going to slow it down and i think we're going to prevent something like so much of this COVID-19 could have been prevented in so many ways. Communication with China, as we know, if we had been told more earlier, um, Cal you know, the U.S. was blindsided by this thing. The other countries were blindsided by this thing because nationally we weren't communicating. And no one's communicating on, until we bring it up right here, how many other discussions have you heard in mainstream media on wildlife trafficking and black markets being so unsanitary that something like this happens? I haven't heard a thing. No, uh, no, I know, just nowhere. 
Yeah, but yeah, you had to dig deep, right? But voicing it, but they, it's it's yeah. not on the front lines. It's you know everything not, is about brother. who's catching it, when they're catching it, how they're catching it, what what are we doing to to react to it? You know that's why I don't want people to forget the source of this, and let's let's hit the source. We got to hit the problems now, but when those problems subside, let's hit that source. Let's hit it hard. Let's you know Absolutely. I hope all the China hit it hard. They 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 knew where it came from. They outlawed it overnight overnight yep. you know south korea overnight they knew where it came from they knew where the sources but they outlawed everything that was legal now what's going on behind the scenes all that black market yeah. i'd love to to find out that china hit the black market hard because they didn't want more spread of this i'd love to hear south korea hit that black market hard and and started changing those cultural things that hey you know we always thought this helped us but now it's hurting us um and we gotta we gotta change it up and you know what's interesting on that as well is look how many countries have come together. It's been, it's been absolutely. I mean, to put it bluntly, just beautiful to see the best biological sciences, the best medical professionals, mm. um, all the knowledge base from all the countries coming together, bipartisan, left and right, all over the world, to fight this as a human crisis, a worldwide crisis against humanity not just the u.s not just italy china uh, south you know all, all over the globe and if we can take that same approach with our governing agencies within all the countries to really unite kind of more worldwide on the black market wildlife trade and coming up with some general parameters where we all crack down on it and have some standards i mean we certainly find the standards for pandemics we find them for times of war we find things through the UN, through NATO, as some examples. We need to go deeper, you know, and not just because it happens to be your and my passion and what we happen to, you know, kind of forte at through our careers and trying to push the thin green line. But this is a human situation. This deals with humanity's well-being over the long run, regardless of where you stand on, you know, the conservation preservation uh, debate, like we talk about all the time. And I agree with you. This is something that needs more mainstream attention, and we'll do our what little bit we can through our right. Thin Green Line podcast and just push yeah. it, man. This is great. Yeah. Every little bit helps. I've found that. You know, every, it really every does. person putting a sandbag on to dam it up helps. <laughs> yeah, oh. there you go. Cer certainly hope to continue. So I want to wrap up this conversation, John, but I do want to talk about Patreon, why we're on Patreon, right. why we're going right. bad. I mean, Warden's Watch, I started Warden's Watch a year ago, 52,000 downloads in the first year. We're in the top 20% of podcasters. But I found awesome. myself going in the marketing business of trying to reach out to people and spending a lot of time trying to get advertisers on. And it just, it was wearing down and it, it took away from the podcast itself. And, you know, right. we spent a lot of time doing this stuff. So Patreon yeah. is just a way to try to pay the bills, basically, is for me, it's trying to, to, to break even <laughs> type yeah. thing, you know, and, and that's why we, we decided to go to a membership only. A, members can drive what we talk about. If they want us to talk about a topic, we'll talk about a topic. We'll try to get guests on that, interact on that topic maybe, and then just, just, just work that as much as we can for the member. And then give them, you know, video is the way to go where we're doing uh, the Skype thing. So to right. add that added value, if you want to see that, that we're, we're going to add that. But it's it's basically, you know, <laughs> got to pay the bills. And, geez, I, I, I was just spending too much time doing things that I didn't want to do. And I want to focus sure. on, you know, bringing Game Warden stories, you know, letting the, the public know what we did, where what 
what the, the wardens and the environmental police and the conservation officers are doing and talk about what they want to talk about. So it's just a transition. Warden's Watch will still be out there. We're still going to do Warden's Watch, right. um, tell those stories and, and do those things. But this is the next step. If, uh, if you want to be a member, if you want to hear the Thin Green Line, if you want to get involved, like me and John are interacting here and interact with us, I think it's, it's a perfect opportunity and I'm, I'm hopefully it's going to work. Yeah, and, and for, for our listeners out there and our viewers, guys, this isn't anything to break the bank. We're not talking about big donations. We're talking about enough just to keep uh, the podcast and the network going effectively and growing. Because really, it's about reaching as many people and getting your input and, and being able to answer your questions and address the issues you bring to us more thoroughly. Because if there's anything I've learned in 28 years of doing the job, as much as I like pushing a rifle to stop bad guys, the pin is mightier than the sword, guys. And the more we can spread the word. And, you know, I was completely, completely ignorant to podcasts until retirement, until I got on the podcast circuit, until I did, you know, one of my very first podcasts with you, Wayne, for Warden's Watch. And then Joe Rogan next and everybody in between. I, I found the message getting out and getting more supporters for the message and getting more eyes and ears out there as part of our thin green line in one year in retirement than I think I ever did in all the outreach I did in 30 years of being an active game warden. And I'm not negating that. I'm just saying this is where you and I, brother, and our listeners and our viewers can be part of the thin green line together, spread the message a little bit um, with minimal with minimal cost. And we, and we appreciate all the support from you guys out there listening and watching and helping spread the word of these topics that you find near and dear and important so we can uh, we can bring a bigger audience and we can dive further and go deeper down into the rabbit hole on these issues as you guys see fit as long as we can make it continue. Nope, I couldn't have said a better man. And uh, yeah, when you talk about the pen, you're a better writer than I am, a better talker. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that figuratively, but thanks. But keep that up, man. Don't, don't, don't stop. Don't stop. So uh, yeah, so I, I think we're going to conclude our first Thin Green line podcast man uh, exciting i you know we're, we're current we're hitting what we need to hit and it, it's so on topic for us i it's hard to believe that something came from illegal wildlife trade that we got to hammer home and uh yeah so awesome john thank you yeah thanks wayne and for everybody out there listening and watching be safe be mm -hmm. healthy support your fellow man and woman out there don't get western do what you need to do to survive, but let's get through this together and we're going to get through it, guys. And thanks a bunch for having me on, Wayne, and doing this. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.